meeting today's challenges with yesterday's experiences. Senior Wisdom is your opportunity to take in wisdom gained by our elderly population and apply this insight to your own life. It's a time machine of sorts, sending you back to challenges of premillennia days and places that stretch across the globe. Born and raised in the Los Angeles area during the 1950s and 60s, Lou Sitzer developed a curiosity to know more about the world. At 21, he had heard about the racial circumstances in Mississippi and decided to travel to Mississippi and help the black community register to vote. He spent his days traveling door to door within the black community and was given a place to sleep in their homes. Lou really got to know the people that he met and grew to respect them. Poverty was extreme and conditions difficult both within the black communities and also during interactions that he had with other folks that didn't want him there. Lou recognized that one of the best ways to learn is to go out into the world and experience different cultures and places. In doing this, he learned that living life that is fair and decent is a basic want of all people regardless of race. Living and working together is the only behavior that works in the long run. When making decisions in life, build for the long term. Senior Wisdom is ready to share another golden nugget. So adjust the volume on your laptop or handheld device and soak into a conversation with Lou Sitzer. What a great evening it is. Middle of October, our fall has started in the Sierra Nevada mountains, and I'm sitting here with Lou Sitzer. He, he lives in, in Nevada County, just outside of, of Nevada City. Lou, thanks for agreeing to sit down with me today. I, I just cannot wait to hear about those, I believe it's going to be the 1960s, possibly, <laughs> time period where you were quite involved in, in Mississippi. Right. Well, thanks for hosting this program, Steve. It's a pleasure to be here with you. Now, in the 1960s, how old were you? Well, I was uh, in between my junior and senior year of college. I was 21 years old at the time. It was 1964. I went to Mississippi. I was the only student from my school, the University of California at Riverside, who went south. It was a call uh, for college students, and about a thousand of us from all over the country came. Uh, first, we went through some nonviolent training and um, became familiar with the, um, the situation in Mississippi that we would be entering. And then, um, and then after three civil rights workers, uh, similar in age, already there, disappeared and were assumed killed, uh, that was the summer, uh, then about half of the volunteers left because they realized that, gee, this is serious business. This is something that one could lose your life about. There were a lot of things happening at that time, but you chose at that moment in your life to go down to Mississippi. What was the, the drive or the incentive to do that? Well, all my life uh, up until that time had been pretty, what you might say, cloistered. And I grew up uh, mostly in Los Angeles and attended a small university. Uh, I didn't know much about life and I was curious, still am curious about the world. Uh, and wanted to experience as much as possible. And I had heard prior to 64 about uh, you know, what we have been celebrating uh, recently in the March on Washington and the looking back at the last 50 years. Uh, I had heard about uh, what was going on in Mississippi. And frankly, I went there 
partly out of curiosity because uh, I couldn't believe some of what I was hearing uh, about the brutality and uh, um, style of way in which people were being treated, and partly because it seemed like a cause worth supporting. So uh, I went there um, with, um, with great intent to, uh, to learn, to increase my knowledge of the world, to better understand how humans interact with one another, and, uh, and so um, I found out. Now, this was sponsored by the university, this, this, or, or just organized through some sort of club at that time? No, actually, it was a very uh, free-form uh, organi- organization effort. There was a student nonviolent coordinating committee. There was the Congress of Racial Equality. There was the uh, National Association, NAACP. There were there was Fellowship of Reconciliation. There were many, many groups. I happened to decide to go, and the Unitarian Church that I didn't attend uh, was very willing to uh, send me $50 a month to support myself while I was there. Did that and, work? $50? <laughs> Is that enough money? The 1964, then? it was plenty. <laughs> it's oh, hard, to, hard to believe now. So you got on a bus with with everyone and then traveled from right. L.A. all the way across the country no, actually, to Mississippi? The, uh, it was in um, uh, Oxford, Ohio that we trained. And so I, I went to Oxford, uh, and uh, then we traveled by bus to Mississippi. We entered in the middle of the night because actually by that time it was very evident that it was a dangerous situation and we had to be as cautious as possible. Uh, Mississippi was arming itself in all sorts of ways to, uh, to, to counteract what it considered to be outside agitators, college students wanting to register voters. So when you say they were arming themselves, are we talking about things with triggers? Yes, we're talking oh, about more than that. We're talking about armored vehicles. We're talking about weapons uh, uh, that beefed up the uh, local um, sheriff's department. And they looked upon it as an invasion. And in a way it was because uh, one of the psychologies of the movement then was in order to reach the public, white kids needed to be involved because the killing of black citizens, young and old, had been going on in the South for decades, centuries. And that that didn't seem to, bringing notice to that didn't seem to make much difference. So the feeling was, gee, if we get some white kids involved, you know, five, six, seven hundred of them, and maybe it will, uh, bring some notice to the general public through newspapers and television that it, it, this is an issue that is greater than just black people voting. This is an issue that involves the nation and it isn't just Mississippi. Mississippi just happened to be the hardcore, the hardest of the hardcore of states to penetrate in terms of, of getting black people registered to vote. You mentioned earlier that there were some fatalities early on before you went down there. Were those uh, people of color or was that Caucasians? There, there were um, two, two whites and one black, and they were doing exactly what we were doing. They had been there a while uh, longer, earlier, arrived earlier, and they were 
Some of them were uh, older, like in their early 30s, mid-20s. I was 21 at the time, so I was young compared to some of the people who had been actually working on the civil rights issue for a number of years. But uh, there were, there were, uh, there were um, people just like us. Yeah. Oh, boy. And it could get pretty dicey. Uh, do you recall maybe an encounter that you had that was pretty typical of, of, of the experiences that you had during that time in Mississippi? Well, all, all of the days were tense because you never knew when you'd get pulled over, uh, when you'd get arrested. I was arrested three times. I was put in jail. I was, I was never beaten. Uh, I was never convicted of anything, but there was a, a, an air of intimidation that was constant, a threat that was constant. I mean, you drove down there in probably multiple vehicles, I suppose. Is that right? Or did you go well, down on a bus? Actually, we went in a bus. Oh, okay. We actually traveled on a bus and then... Like a Greyhound bus. Like a Greyhound bus, no yes. And, and actually, the, the bus drivers and company were pretty nervous about the whole thing because that was after the bus burnings had taken place also where Greyhound buses were put to flame. And when they got you down there, where, where did they drop you off? Where did you get off? Well, I stayed in, in Clarksdale, Mississippi, which is in uh, the Delta, the Mississippi Delta. And we all lived with uh, black families. Uh, and of course, this was a great introduction, you know, for a white boy from California to live in a, with a black family and also it was an introduction to the family to have a, um, um, and to have an occupant you know who was white living in the black community and it really was true what they said about being separated by the tracks the railroad tracks typically did separate the blacks from the whites and so it was very obvious that um, that I was living somewhere where I shouldn't have been so I mean there were police cars and and vigilantes that were essentially patrolling, looking for us. And one of the things I wanted to mention uh, is that uh, my daily activity was going from house to house in Clarksdale and uh, another town, Marks, Mississippi, where I stayed for the summer. Which, which part of the tracks was that that you were knocking on doors? Well, <laughs> these were all, of course, black um, laborers, uh, many of whom couldn't read or write, um, or if uh, they could read or write, uh, in either case, um, they could be eligible to vote if they passed the literacy tests, which were actually impossible to, to pass because they were they were made to um, prevent black people from voting because actually black people outnumbered white people in the South, uh, and, and there was a great threat to the white power structure if black people were able to vote. So I would go from house to house and in very, very poor conditions. I mean, we're talking about homes that don't have electricity, that often had a dirt floor for a floor, um, and that... Um, I was talking with people who were not, who primarily came out of slavery, and yet my conversations with them were so authentic, so um, honest, so deep in understanding and wisdom that it made me acknowledge and recognize the fact that wisdom doesn't necessarily come out of books. In fact, uh, a lack of an education doesn't mean you're dumb. 
And so I was very gifted, I think, with encountering so many people who I grew um, very respectful of because of the lives they had lived and how they had coped with slavery and attitudes of discrimination that were completely dehumanizing. And so my education, you know, sort of began going door to door. So it sounds to me like the wisdom that came, one of the pieces of wisdom that came out of this experience in going down to Mississippi was the fact that wisdom does come from things other than books. Well, yes, and uh, later in life I went into teaching, and one of the things that I emphasized most with uh, the students is the best education you could ever get, I thought, was to travel. Uh, and to go into communities and other countries where you could begin to see how other people live and understand other ways of life and other customs and other belief systems so that you would begin to see that your own perspective is just one of many. So um, uh, I, I embraced the idea of uh, getting out of the classroom as a teacher and getting into real life experiences, which is, I think, most valuable. So there, there's wisdom outside of books. We've established that. Right. Uh, what is the wisdom that you pulled from the Mississippi experience that you had? Well, <clears throat> one of the, the messages, you know, after we worked together for three months, uh, one of the messages was that the problem isn't really with the black community. The problem is with the white community. And please go back and address the white community and try to educate. And that's what I did for my whole life. I grew up, I went to a high school that, that was 50% black. I went to LA High School, the yeah. first, Los An first high school that was built in Los Angeles, right in the center of the city. So I had the advantage of um, going to school in a highly integrated high school. Uh, not that it didn't have its racial issues, but at least I had the contact uh, with athletes and, and scholars of, of you know, all, all different ethnicities. Well, you know, I actually, I, I, I continue to be hopeful despite the experience that I have. You know, uh, maybe it's just something I carry, I've always carried with me. Uh, there are a lot of good people. Uh, and, you know, I look at the country demographically and geographically and, and you know, the coasts, the coasts of the country have always been more exposed, East Coast, West Coast, have always been more exposed to um, um, differences because that's where immigrant populations cluster. That's where they come to. And so the coasts have tended to be um, more um, uh, tolerant, more accepting, n not perfect, but, uh, you know, and so I've lived uh, on the coasts of both, you know, East Coast, West Coast, born in New York City. So, um, I think that the country is a at this point is a divided country. You know, I think that you know the, that we we are in a, a um, you know we are caught in our own uh, um, dynamic of um, of of in, of stubbornness, intransigence, and unwillingness to to find a common core. And uh, so, where do where do you begin with this? Uh, wisdom we're reflecting back on, where do you begin in changing that to more of a sharing 
Well, um, we, we, we begin with programs like you're producing. We begin with the, you know, people like uh, Bill Moyers and, and others who are, and, uh, you know, Studs Trickle, who, uh, traditionally people who have expressed um, uh, a basic humanity that we are all connected in this and that, you know, the, 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 the great disparity of wealth that's growing in our country um, is not going to work. I mean, basically, we are moving ourselves at a at a pace uh, that is is more and more destabilizing. And so, the the wisdom that I might bring to it is is just to say, look, folks, we we have a fabric here, and the fat you know we can we can knit together or we can unravel. But you know we ha and we have that choice. But but it's it's um, we are we are doing both. Both are happening. You know, I visit New York City and I think, my God, how can this city work? There are so many ways in which we are connected. You know uh, that you know collecting just collecting the garbage is a huge issue, and and so many other factors enter into people who have to learn how to work together. Otherwise, we fall apart. And, um, and so it's reaching the people, and, and I think there has to be a kind of a basic faith that um, people want to survive. Most of the countries I've visited and lived in, the, the common man doesn't really care about government just wants to be let alone and and uh, and live a life uh, that is decent and honest. It's, it's a question of short-term gain versus long-term gain. If you if you have a long-term look at the country or the planet or the community, you will opt for what is best for the general good rather than your own pocket. The Mississippi experience was was. Uh I think really valuable to you because it sounds like it really guided you in the rest of your life on creating that level of communication and, and education with the younger groups, with kids, so that when they grew up, they recognize the different colors and, and they recognize the similarities and differences, that differences are okay, and, um, and really brought uh, uh, people together. And I, I thank you for sharing this today, and I look forward to sitting down with you again. Thanks, Thanks a lot. My pleasure.